Well, it's nice to have a handful of y'all with us this morning. Some of you may not recognize me. My name's Matt Krachunas. I'm the, I know, it's weird, the mustache. It's Pastor Matt, yes. We had a men's event and uh, me and Pastor Jay were acting like a couple of characters. And the requirement was that I had to have a mustache and I came home and my wife said, take it off. And I said, but my guys, man, they love it. Yeah, exactly, right? Chuck Swadek. Listen, guys, I love you, but drink this thing in because it's gone by sundown. Like it's, I don't think this thing's going to make it through the day. So we'll, we'll enjoy it while we can. Um, we have a special treat today. Pastor Christian is here from Cedar Rapids. For those of you that are here and also those of you that are joining us online, I'd just like to make a quick introduction to Pastor Christian. Uh, Pastor Christian got saved as a young man in our church when he was 16 years old, about 16 years ago. Um, and since then, God has radically taken over his life. And now he's a pastor in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Him and his wife have been married for nine years. They got two kids. Their church is about, uh, they're just over a hundred. Um, they, they're moving in, they're buying their first building. Like God is doing real big things through their ministry in Cedar Rapids. And, uh, it's, it's been one of my greatest pleasures as a pastor, um, to be able to walk with Christian, um, throughout his ministry and his life and his career. He started off as a spiritual son to me and he still is a spiritual son to me, but he's become, you know, he, when you start paying your own bills and getting married and stuff, we can be friends. And so now, now him and I have much more of a friendship and it's an honor to call him friend, but even more so an honor to call him pastor because he, he is the fruit of faith and victory church. Uh, this is our fruit. Um, this is what our church does. And for many years we supported them financially. <laughs> so he really is our fruit and now he's on his own. So it's good. Um, would you guys give him a big faith and victory welcome? Two forty-six through 47. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food. Am I, is my mic on? We good? Is it on? I hear myself. Is it not on? Dude, I'm coming through some kind of speaker. Do I need to talk louder? And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with a glad and generous heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Acts 5 and 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Acts 6 and 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the numbers of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient in the faith. Acts 9 and 31, so the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Spirit, it multiplied. Acts 11 and 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. 
Acts 11 and 24. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Finally, Acts 16.5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Hope you all are catching a theme with these verses that I'm reading this morning. Now, I want you to really pay attention to this last one because some people spread this rumor that in the New Testament, there was no such thing as a local church, that there was all, there was this just kind of global church and there was no local church. And they were like, ah, there was one church in Asia and one church in Corinth and one church in Rome. But what we see in Acts is that's not the case. It says that the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily meaning the local congregation yes the global church grew in numbers absolutely of course but also the local churches grew in numbers daily can you imagine church what would happen to faith and victory if it grew in numbers daily if every single day Someone was getting saved. Someone was getting discipled. Someone was getting baptized. I'm not talking about growing because Pastor Matt's funnier than the church down the street. I'm not saying because your coffee's better or you guys don't even have coffee. I got to go next door to the Bigfoot place. (laughs) Probably why you're not full right now. I'm just saying. You got some (laughs) coffee in the back. I'm just kidding. I'm not talking about that kind of growth. I'm talking about growing because there's people who find Jesus and they need a place to worship. They need a place to be sharpened and strengthened. What would happen if faith and victory grew daily because of that? How long until this building wasn't enough? I mean, you're almost there pre-COVID. COVID's the devil. But you're, you're almost there. How long until this wasn't enough? What if every church in Auburn, in Kent, in Covington, in Federal Way, what if every church in Western Washington that preached the gospel, that preached that Jesus Christ died and rose again on the third day, that sinners might be saved and redeemed by his blood? If every single Bible-believing, Christ-preaching church added to numbers daily, how long until all of the Pacific Northwest was saved? How long, how long until, until all of America How long would it take if every church in the world that preached Jesus from his word, if they were added to daily, how long until everybody in the world at least had a chance to accept Jesus Christ? Now the question that the modern church should be asking itself, the question that we ought to be asking ourselves is why is that not the way? What's different between Acts and now? Because it's not God. He hasn't changed. And it's not the gospel. The gospel hasn't changed. And it's not our helper, the paraclete that's inside of us. He hasn't stopped helping us. So what's different? It's almost as if some 2,000 years ago, there was a baby that was born of a virgin in a manger who grew up to walk on water, to raise the dead, to heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers, to die on a cross, raise again three days later, ascend into heaven, and to send us a helper. It's almost as if that started a global outbreak. And at that outbreak began to spread, and it went from an outbreak to an epidemic, and from an epidemic to a pandemic. And then people in all the world started catching it. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. And then something happened. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. The enemy flattened the curve. The enemy flattened the curve. I'll say it again. There was a global outbreak of faith across the world. And the devil didn't want it to happen. The world didn't want it to happen. Our flesh 
didn't want it to happen. The enemy conspired together to flatten the curve, to slow down the outbreak. How did he do it? Well, he gave us some guidelines. You bring these guidelines up. Do we got those? He gave us these guidelines. He said, cover your mouth, social distance, self-quarantine, and don't travel. Now, this is the part in the sermon where I remind you that I am a preacher, not a doctor. Okay? I got to stay in the lines. I'm sorry. But the spirit's over there. This is the point in the sermon where I remind you that I'm not a doctor. There's no medical advice in this message, okay? What I'm doing is something very clever and creative. I think I'm the first one to think of this. I'm using current circumstances to make a spiritual point. I know, it's crazy. This sermon's not going to age well. 2040, they're going to be like, what? Social distance, what does that mean? Cover your mouth, social distance, self-quarantine, and whatever you do, don't travel. Here's another phrase that I've heard. Most of these, self-quarantine and social distance, never heard those words in my life. Here's another new one. Y'all heard this one? New normal. Get ready for the new normal. It is the Christians, it is faith and victory, put this in the middle, just anchor myself here. It is the Christians, it is faith and victory church, it is you who ought to be the one defining the new normal. Yes, say that. We should be the ones who change society so much that they have to prepare themselves for a new normal. A new normal where abortion clinics go bankrupt. A new normal where divorce is unthought of. A new normal where high school cafeterias, workplace break rooms, and half times at the Seahawks games look more like church gatherings than social gatherings because we're so excited about Jesus that every free moment we get, we want to be studying his word, sharing his gospel, and praising his name. A new normal where Christ is first and everything is last. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak through me. Use me as your vessel. Not my word, but your word. And Holy Spirit, I ask for this church and everybody listening both here and on the live stream that you would help us to hear what you have us to hear today. Change us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. The Great Commission is for you. If you are a born-again, Christ-believing, redeemed believer in Jesus, the Great Commission is your marching orders. I used to wonder, how come I can't just get raptured now? Like, why can't I just go? Like, I don't want to be on this filthy earth anymore. You know, some of y'all know my best friend Eddie died when he was 18, just very, very rapidly. Went to the doctor with a stomachache. Four weeks later, he was dead from cancer. And what made me mad was not that Eddie died. It was that he got to go to heaven before me. 
I'm like, what kind of joke? I'm convinced God loved Eddie more than me. He was like, dude, this one, he's coming to hang out right now. Because the world sucks. Blame Adam and Eve. So why do I have to stay here? I've been redeemed because I've got a mission. I've got marching orders. There's a task to be done. What is that mission? Go and make disciples. If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, if you are born again and you look at the Great Commission and you say no, then how can you call yourself a Christian? Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you? That word Lord is not some big Christian word. It's not a Christianese word. It's an English word. It has an English meaning. It means you Lord over me. You tell me what to do. I do it. I don't tell you what to do. You tell me what to do. You tell me where to go. You tell me where to, what to say. You tell me how to behave. You tell me what not to do. And I don't do it. You are my Lord. You are my boss. You are my king. You are my master. You say it, I do it. So when Christians don't do what Jesus says, Jesus looks down and he's like, I don't get it. Yeah. Well, you say Lord, but you don't behave like I'm your Lord. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you? I tell you to go and make disciples and you say no. Come on. You might not say it with your mouth, but you say it with your actions. And here's how this works. You see, the devil is a trickster, right? Most of us aren't bold enough to just look at Jesus in his face and say, no, I'm not going to do that. Sometimes we think that the devil comes down and he's wearing like this big flaming red robe and he's got his pitchfork and like fangs and horns and he's just the red scaly skin. He's like, ah, come follow me into evil. And we're like, not today, Satan. But that's not how he works. The Bible says he comes down as an angel of light. So Satan's got to convince us not to follow the Great Commission, but he wants to do it in a way where we think we're still following the Great Commission. He tries to trick us. So here's how he does it. Bring those guidelines back up. He says, you can follow the Great Commission. Just make sure to keep your mouth covered so you don't say anything offensive. And you can follow the Great Commission. Just be sure not to get too close to people you don't know. You don't want to spread it to strangers. And you can follow the Great Commission inside your church. Go ahead and make disciples inside the church. Sunday morning, great time for making disciples, but Monday, you're mine. You can make disciples, but don't do it other places. Don't travel to make disciples. You got people in your own backyard who need to be saved. That's what we're going to talk about today. So let's talk about that first one. Lie one, to love your neighbor, you need to cover your mouth. Here's what scripture says, 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Here's the thing, church. These words describe you. If you're born again, you're a chosen race. If you're born again, you're a royal priesthood. If you're born again, you're a part of a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Now, God didn't have to call us those things. Would it not have been enough if he just saved us? Dude, I'm fine, Lord. You want to call me the scum of the earth and say you're rotten and filthy, but I love you enough to save you, and that's fine. I'm fine with that. Thank you, Jesus. He didn't have to do that. But he goes above and beyond, and he says, now you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why does God call us that? I think there's many reasons, but according to this scripture, there's an answer According to this scripture, the reason God calls us that is right here. That you may proclaim. That you may proclaim. That means speak 
with your mouth. Use your mouth to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. But, 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 but if you really loved your neighbor, the enemy tells us, if you really loved your neighbor, you wouldn't say things that might offend them. Nonsense. If I truly love my neighbor, I wouldn't allow them to go to hell. I would do everything I could to save them from eternal flames, offended or not. But, but listen, if my neighbor hates me, I'm just living in a house and my neighbor lives next door and he hates me. And he's like, I don't want you to ever talk to me again. Don't you come on my property. If you come on my property, I'm going to shoot you. I hate you Christians. You just stay away from me. Don't even look at me. If that was my neighbor and I saw his house was burning down and he was asleep in front of his living room window, I'd still break down the window and bring him out. He might hate me. At least he's alive enough to hate me. Right? If I really believe that heaven is real and hell is real, if I really believe in the power of miracles, if I really believe in the infinite justice and saving grace of God, then how could I not talk about it? Listen, if I had the cure for cancer, if I had the cure for cancer, and I saw someone who was bald, okay, I'm walking down, and I see Marcus over here, and I see that he's bald, and I'm like, you know, he's either bald because he's an incredibly handsome young man, or because he has cancer. Would it be loving of me to, to not ask him if he needed the cure for cancer because I was afraid of offending him? What if he did? My mom's got cancer. She's bald. Yeah. Right? If I had the cure for cancer and I see someone and I think they got cancer, I'm going to tell them about it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm not going to be afraid that they're like, how dare you think that I have cancer? Don't you know that I am just strikingly handsome? That's why I wear my head like this. Dude, we got the cure for death. We got the cure for sin. We got the cure for hell. What are we afraid of? Listen, guys, we're so afraid of offending people. Y'all know Jesus was perfect, right? Don Lemon doesn't know that, but we know that Jesus was perfect, right? Someone caught that reference. Thank you. We know that Jesus was perfect. And they still were offended enough to kill him. He was perfect, and he still offended people enough. Am I allowed to come this far forward? Yeah. Yes. I'll just preach this way, because then I can move. It'll be good. Y'all, Jesus was perfect, and they found enough wrong with him to kill him. If you're not offending people, you ain't being like Jesus. And I'm not saying offend people because you just had to wear that Make America Great Again shirt to the Black Lives Matter rally, okay? I didn't, we're not saying that. We're saying if you're going to offend people, let it be by the love of Christ that offends them. Speak the truth in love. Because the truth doesn't lie. The truth doesn't, love doesn't lie. The truth doesn't lie either, but it's kind of self-explanatory. All right. This went better first service. Hope y'all were there. It was great when I preached it then. First Peter three fourteen. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them or be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, being prepared to make a defense 
of anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. That's what scripture says. Live holy, preach the gospel. They're going to get mad. They're going to talk bad about you. And they're going to say, you think Pastor Matt did what? Bro, I know Pastor Matt. He would never do that. I've watched him live his life righteously for the past 16 years. But, 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 no, man, Pastor Matt didn't do that. That's what scripture says. Live your life like that. Romans 1, 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Can you imagine how fast the church would grow if we weren't ashamed of the gospel? But pastor, God doesn't care about numbers. He cares about personal growth. Stop being so selfish. That's the most selfish thing I've ever heard come out of the church. God doesn't care about numbers. He just cares about personal growth. Really? Because you were a number once and he cared about you. Of course God cares about numbers because every single number represents a beautiful creation of God that is going to exist in eternity in heaven or hell. And God wants everyone to be saved. Second Peter three, nine, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. This right here is a number. That's a number. 7.2 billion. Right now is what that number is. God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So we got to use our mouth to spread the gospel. Lie too. The enemy tells us to love your neighbor. You need a social distance. Acts 8, 26 through 38. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south, towards the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza to the desert place. And he rose and he went and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch. Skipping forward to verse 28, he was returned seating in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran up to him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? The eunuch said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit. Skipping forward to verse 36, the end of the story. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? The world lies and says, keep your faith to yourself. You don't need to share it with other people. I got to at least pretend like I can move around. (sighs) Dude, it bothers me so much. It's so difficult. (sighs) Ooh, can I come like this now? Yes. All right. The world says... The world tells us, they say, listen, keep your faith to yourself. When you're out and about, when you're around doing stuff, don't share the gospel. What scripture says is it says, use your proximity to people to spread the gospel. So what we see here in this passage is, is the spirit telling Philip like, hey, there's someone who needs to know Jesus and he's down here on this road to Jerusalem. I need you to get closer to him. He didn't say, hey, Philip, I want you to write him a letter. He didn't say, Philip, hey, send him a quick Facebook message. He said, I want you to go get close. And he went and he got close. And then the spirit said, you're not close enough. I want you to get next to the chariot. So he got even closer. And then the eunuch looks down and he says, you're not close enough. I need to know what you have to say. Get in my chariot with me. And that's when Philip shared the gospel and the eunuch got saved. I want you to remember the story next time you take an Uber. 
Next time you take a bus ride, when you're in a chariot with someone and they want that five-star review, y'all know Uber, they want that five-star review, share the gospel with them. Okay, they ain't going to get offended. And if they do one-star them, we'll show them. I'm just kidding. If we've learned anything from this pandemic, it is that it's very difficult to social distance. It's very difficult. I've learned that no matter how hard you try to stay six feet away from people, there's just going to be times. There's just going to be times. I was, I was telling Pastor Matt this. The airport went out of its way to social distance. And like the lines were like set up and cut out so that you could only be six feet apart from people. And they only, they wouldn't fill the middle seats of the airplane so that you weren't sitting next to someone. And I was like, you know what? I'm pretty proud. People are able to do this pretty good. We're social distancing pretty well. I didn't think this was going to work till we got the baggage claim. (laughs) Then all of a sudden, everything was out the window. Everyone's jammed up in there trying to get their luggage. What if we used our natural proximity? We don't even have to try to meet strangers. You go to meet a stranger when you go to McDonald's and they hand you the food out the window. You're going to meet a stranger when you go to Costco and you're buying your groceries and someone's rigging you up. You're going to meet people. What if we use our natural social proximity to people to preach the gospel? And it's really easy. You don't have to be a big time evangelist and go through all of the points of the gospel. It's as easy as this. Hey, man, I don't know if you go to church anywhere, but... I'd love to see you show up. Faith and victory. The gospel's preached here, right? So if you bring a visitor to church, you know they're getting the gospel. You know 100%, no matter what, if they're coming, they're getting the gospel that Sunday. Listen, we had a bank teller the first time in in Cedar Rapids, the first time I went to our new bank, there was this little bank teller, a, a, a lady my age, and I invited her to church. I was like, hey, I don't know if you go to church anywhere, but here you go. And I think she thought I was hitting on her or something. Because from then on, for two years, she always made sure that I never got her line. Like, always. Like, I'd wait, and she would be busy. She'd put the, like, next person, please sign up when it was my turn. Always made sure I never got her line. Two years later, my wife went to the bank, and she almost never goes to the bank. It was just my job to go to the bank, one of my things. And she went to the bank because I was busy or I wasn't feeling well or something. And she goes to this lady and gives her a church card. And the lady begins to weep. She said, you know what? Some guy gave me this church card two years ago. And the Holy Spirit has been all over me. She didn't say that because she didn't know the Holy Spirit. She said, I have been feeling like crazy that I knew that I needed to go. And I've been so ashamed that I haven't gone that I couldn't even look at that guy. Because I knew I was supposed to go. She came to church that week. She had been Catholic her whole life, just Catholic in name only. She came to church that week. The next week she got saved. Three weeks later, she got baptized. End of the story is she's a deaconess in our church now because of church cards. I got lots of stories like that. Just simply, I'm here. You're here. I'd love you to come to church. Use your social proximity to preach the gospel. But pastor, if I lived my life like that, I'd be preaching the gospel always. What a concept. Second oh. Timothy 4, 1 through 4. I charge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and dead, by the appearing of his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, and complete patience and teaching. You know what that means in season and out of season? Let me tell you what it means. 
It means when you got the Holy Spirit fire on you and the Holy Spirit highlights someone to you in the grocery store and says, that person needs me, it means go and preach the gospel to them. And it means when you wake up with a headache and a migraine and you missed your Jesus time in the morning and, and, and you're just kind of frustrated and you're not feeling really close and things just are kind of icky, preach the gospel anyways. That's what it means. It means preach the gospel always. Lie number three, to love your neighbor as yourself, you've got to self-quarantine your faith. Mark 2, 13 through 15, he went out aside beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them and he's passed by. He saw Levi, the son of Aphaeus, sitting in the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed Jesus. Now what the world wants us to do is they want us to keep our faith inside these four walls. And now that they've done a really good job of that, now they're working on destroying the church. It's a step-by-step process because they've done a great job of convincing us to keep our faith inside these four walls. So the devil tells two lies when it comes to self-quarantining their faith. First, he says, you know what? You go ahead and make disciples inside the church. You make disciples on Sunday all you want. It's great. Get the air conditioning, make disciples, but just leave it there. When you come to work, when you go home to your family, when you're raising your children, just leave it at the church. Let the pastor lead your kids to Christ. You don't need to teach them. Let them make their own choice. Let them choose if they want to follow Jesus. Well, I don't let my kid choose to play in the road. I don't let my kid choose to eat poison. I'm not going to let him choose to go to hell. What kind of parenting? That's neglect is what that is. I'm going to bring Jesus into my family. I'm going to bring Jesus into my workplace. I'm going to bring Jesus into politics. The last point was use your, 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 social, your natural proximity people to share the gospel. Now I want to talk about those closest to you. Your brother, your sister, your parents, your children, your cousins. Your friends from your past life, your co-workers, your teammates, your schoolmates. Because Satan doesn't want us to spread it to them either. He wants us to self-quarantine. So first of all, you better believe that I'm going to vote and I'm going to vote according to the Bible. But we're voting for, for, for commander in chief, not pastor in chief. We're not trying to elect a pastor, trying to elect a president. It's a fair statement. Man, I don't need, I don't need my president to be a pastor. He could be an evangelist or a teacher or an apostle or a prophet, but I expect him to be a Christian and a Christian that bears fruit because the Bible says faith without works is dead. And I don't want to elect a dead man as a president. That's why I'm not voting for Biden. I'm sorry. I forgot I'm in Seattle. I'm sorry. I forgot I'm in Seattle. I'm sorry. I thought I was at CWO for a minute. I love you guys. He's just, he's just a dead man walking. I don't. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sure. He's a very nice man. But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna self-quarantine my faith. I'm gonna bring my faith into the workplace, into the school, into sports, into family, even into politics, because I believe that heaven is real and eternal, and I believe that hell is real and eternal, and I believe that it's appointed once for a man to die, and then comes the judgment, and I don't want anyone to face judgment without the blood of Christ over them, and I certainly don't want those closest to me to face judgment without the blood of Christ over me, or over them. 
So the first lie is he says, don't bring it. But the second lie is much sneakier. This is the angel of light lie that comes down because he knows that some of us are really on fire for Jesus, fundamentalists, fanatics, freaks for Jesus. And he knows that our, that our faith is going to overflow. So he tries to trick us. He's got this sneaky little trick. He says, fine. If you want to bring your faith to those you love, you got to meet them where they're at. You got to, you know, Jesus, Jesus hung out with the sinner. So go ahead, man. You want to go that guy from your old life, dude, he's at the bar. Why don't you go to the bar with him? Hang out for a little while. Maybe some of your Jesus will rub off on him, but Jesus never did that. Jesus always called the sinner out of the place of sin to meet with him. Jesus never did that. Jesus said, Levi, leave your tax booth and follow me. Jesus did not pull up a chair next to Levi and say, let me help some, help you count some money that you just fleeced from some bull suckers. And while he's helping counting the stolen money, then maybe I'll have a chance to preach the gospel. I've never met someone who was led to Christ in a place of sin like that. I've never met an effective evangelist who goes to places of sin and bring someone to Christ. I've never met someone who dated someone who wasn't a Christian and successfully brought them to Christ. But I've met people who've gotten pregnant before they were married, where they were on fire for Christ. But there's this guy, and oh, I can bring him to Christ. And he's so loving and cute, and we'll bring him to Christ. Three months later, they're pregnant. And then they find out dude's married. And they're like, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe bad company corrupts good morals. I, maybe scripture's true. Listen. I didn't say this first sermon, but I'm going to say it now because everybody on live stream needs to hear it and everybody in here needs to hear it. Never date an unbeliever. God didn't call you to do it. You're not strong enough or holy enough to bring them to Christ. Don't do it. You find someone you're equally yoked with. Never date an unbeliever. But, but Jesus was a friend of sinners. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. Jesus was not a friend of sinners, but I'm pretty sure I read somewhere in scripture that Jesus was a friend of sinners. No, what you read was the Pharisees mocking Jesus. Here's what the Pharisees said. They said, you glutton and you drunkard and you friend of, and you friend of sinners. Now we don't go around calling Jesus glutton or drunkard, but we like that title friend of sinners because it makes it feel like it's okay for us to join in on their sin a little bit, right? It makes it feel like that's okay. Jesus never called sinner his, sinners his friend. The Bible says Jesus died for us while we were his enemies. Jesus didn't die for his friends. He died for his enemies. Anyone would die for their friends. God loves us way more than that. He died for us while we were yet his enemies. Then once we got saved, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, I no longer call you servants. I now call you friends. Friend is an honored title. Don't get me wrong. Jesus loves the sinners. Absolutely. He loves them so much he died for them. But they're not buddy-buddy. They're not kicking it. And Jesus is saying, come out of your sin. Follow me. Go and sin no more. Finally, life four. To love your neighbor, you need to stop traveling. You need to stop traveling. Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. The first two letters of the Great Commission are G-O. Go. The Great Commission is not stay and make disciples. It is go and make disciples. Now, y'all know the story of the five loaves and the two fish, right? 
right? Miraculous story. I want you to imagine things went a little bit differently. And you tell me how fair this sounds, because this is how we treat the gospel when it comes to missions. I want you to imagine that instead of having everybody get together, he, Jesus had everybody line up in rows of 100, 50 rows of 100, 100 here, 100 there, 100 there. And then Jesus, Jesus gave the five loaves of the two fish to the disciple, and then you're sitting in row 58, and you're looking forward, and you see this miracle unfolding. And Jesus begins hand, or the disciples begin handing out fish and loaves to everybody in the front row, and you're watching this miracle. Five loaves, two fish are feeding 100 people. Now, you know, the, the true miracle is that it fed 5,000. But here in this imaginary thing that we've done to the gospel, they feed the front row. Then the disciples step back and say, before we feed the second row, let's make sure the first row gets seconds. And before we, we, before we feed the second row, let's let the food hit everybody's belly and make sure that they're, are you hungry over here? Do you need some more? That guy needs some more rolls. Hey, listen, they don't look stuffed enough. And let's, you know what? Let's let it just sit overnight and tomorrow we'll see if the first row needs any more. That's how we treat Jesus. We give the gospel to our neighbors 24, seven. We should be. And they hear it over and over and over and over again. And they reject it over and over and over again. And there's people across the ocean who've never even so much as heard the name of Jesus. They're sitting in the back waiting for their first taste. Can we give them a chance? This is why missions is important. And it is not that, it's not that you shouldn't be making disciples here. You should be. I mean, look at Faith and Victory. It's a beautiful church where the gospel is preached. Absolutely. That's why this church is here. But the Great Commission is Go. I went to a foreign land called Iowa. It's a very strange place. But God told me, go to Iowa. I thought he was going to tell me to go someplace exotic where I could be killed for my faith. Nope, Iowa. Thanks, God. If y'all are watching from my church, I love Iowa. Cedar Rapids, best place to live. Love it. So good. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Second reason why you should go and make disciples, John 4, 44. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. I come and try to preach in Seattle and people are like, aren't you that kid who blew up the toilet? (laughs) You know what's great about preaching somewhere where no one knows you? They don't know your past mistakes. They don't know your sin. See, the Bible says that when you were saved, that God forgets your sins. But your classmates don't. And your coworkers don't. And your family, oh, God did, but they remember. Man, you go to another nation and you could actually be the person that God's made you to be in other people's eyes. You know what happened in in, in Jerusalem when Jesus, or or in Nazareth, when Jesus was trying to preach to his own people? You know there's people like, that dude thinks he's the son of God? I saw him trying to make a table once. He's just a carpenter's son. He's not even royalty. Dude, I seriously saw that dude with his dad. All they were doing was sanding and putting legs on a table. No way is that guy Jesus. doesn't matter if you're perfect, you're without honor in your hometown. You want to see power in evangelism? Get on a plane and go somewhere. Does this mean that all of you are going to go buy plane tickets right now? Absolutely not. But what it should mean is that when Jesus says go, you say yes. And when your brother goes, that you say, let me send you. How can I pray for you? How can I support you? What can I do? Do I need to financially support you? Do I need to walk your dog? Do I need to cut your grass? Because the gospel is so important that I want to do everything I can to send you. This should be our attitude when it comes to missions. All right, I want to wrap this thing up. By the way, just before I close, 
The word neighbor in scripture in the New Testament has nothing to do with physical proximity. It has nothing to do. It's who do you love? Go read the story of the Good Samaritan. They asked, who is our neighbor? The story of the Good Samaritan is to explain who your neighbor is. It wasn't the people who lived close to the guy in the pit. It was the foreigner who loved him enough. You want to love your neighbor, sometimes you've got to go and get him out of the pit. Amen. Amen. To conclude, Acts 16.5. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and they increased in numbers daily. Would you all close your eyes, bow your head. My job is not to condemn you, but I hope that for some of you, the Holy Spirit has convicted you. And if you were honest, you could say that you've been covering your mouth for too long. You've not been using your proximity to preach the gospel. You've not been sharing the gospel to the loved ones, and you've never thought twice about missions. But my job is not to make you feel bad about that and to leave crying and, oh, Pastor Christian said, and now I feel terrible. My job is to encourage you because today you can make the decision that that's who you're going to be. You can walk out and say, man, Pastor Christian reminded me that I can't open my mouth. Pastor Christian reminded me about the importance of missions. I'm going to start supporting them. I want you to leave encouraged. Now, I've got two altar calls this morning, and the first is the most important thing that can ever happen in a church, and that is a call for salvation. None of this means anything if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes up to Jesus, and Jesus tells Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say that one more time. It's very black and white in scripture. It's not vague. Unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. My question to you, and I want you to answer this to yourself, answer it in your heart. Have you been born again? Have you put your life in the hands of Jesus? Have you said, I no longer want to live for my sin and for my pain and my suffering. I want to put that all behind me and I want to chase after you. And I want you to be my Lord because I trust you more than I trust myself. And I believe that you're the son of God and that you died and you rose again. And I want to follow you, the living God. And I see other people and I've seen how they've been changed and how they've been redeemed. And I want to be like them. I want to be redeemed too. If you've never been born again, if you've never completely given your life to Jesus and seen that extreme life change where the Holy Spirit comes in and changes you, if you've never been born again and you're in this room, I want you to do what I did 16 years ago when Pastor Matt asked this question. All eyes closed, all heads bowed. If you've never been born again and you would like to be today, Will you raise your hand so I can pray with you? Don't be afraid. Raise your hand high. I see that hand, brother. I see that hand. Is there anybody else? All right, guys, you can look up. I see that hand, sweetheart. I see that hand. Can we have a deacon come and pray with brother Colin and are you mom if you want her to come and pray to receive Jesus I want you to talk to her make sure she understands but if you do we'll have a deaconess come up and pray with her you can come up with her too now if you're on the live stream and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior you can make today the day of your salvation too it's very simple all you need to do is just talk to Jesus Lord, I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry for, for the sins that I've committed. I know they're wrong. You put your word on my heart. I knew it was wrong to lie. I knew it was wrong to steal. I knew it was wrong to gossip, to lust, to hate, to cheat. And I did these things, Lord, and I'm sorry. I don't want to do them anymore. I want to live for you. Would you take them? Would you cleanse them? Would you fill me? Would you let me be born again? If you say a prayer like that and you mean it, the Bible says the Holy Spirit will come inside of you and redeem you and make you a new creation. But I need you to do something. You can't just sit back and say that prayer. You need brothers and sisters in Christ to walk the walk with you, to strengthen you and to encourage you. So if you said that prayer for the first time today, I want you to reach out to someone in the church. If you're watching on the live stream, send someone you know in here a text, put a comment on the page, say, I just gave my life to Jesus and we're going to have a deacon reach out to you or deaconess reach out to you. Now, here's the second altar call. This is very, very important. We're talking about spreading the gospel. The Great Commission is to go and make disciples. I want to break some chains this morning. If you're in here this morning and you are a Christian, you're born again and you know it, but you can honestly say, I've never preached the gospel. I've never looked at someone and told them the reason why Jesus died for them and asked them to receive them, to receive Jesus, to give their life to Jesus. If you are someone like that where you say, man, I love the Lord and I'm passionate, but I've just been afraid and I don't know how to or whatever, for whatever reason, you've never done it. If that's you this morning, all eyes up, let's all look up. If that's you this morning, if you've never preached the gospel and you would like to break those chains and say, today's a new day. I'm going to start being someone who preaches the gospel, not by my strength, but by his strength. If that's you, would you stand up so I can pray with you? I can't force you to stand up. I know there's people in here who've never preached the gospel because we're people. If you've never preached the gospel and you want to be someone who's known as someone who preaches the gospel, you just want to do it for the first time. Thank you, brother. I believe those chains are broken in the name of Jesus. Never again. Is there anybody else? If you can't stand up in church, if you're too afraid to stand up in church, I can't imagine you're going to share the gospel with your Uber driver. Is there anybody else? Now here's the second question, because sometimes people do this little cop-out thing where they're like, well, one time when I was 12, I told my friend the gospel. If you look into your heart and you could say honestly... There's times when the Holy Spirit tells me to share the gospel and I don't. I don't open my mouth enough. I don't share the gospel enough. I'm in this camp too, okay? I'm there. I, if I'm honest, there's times where I'm just done. And I've preached for so many days in a row and I just don't want to tell people about Jesus. I just want to get my snack and eat and go home. But that's selfish. If you know that you're someone in that camp where you're just like, I'm not doing it like I'm supposed to, would you stand up so I can pray for you? Father, here is your army. Here are your people. You say, whom shall I send? And we at Faith and Victory say, send us, we'll go. Use us. Send us, tell us. No longer will we be too tired or too ashamed or too afraid or too embarrassed or too busy to tell people about the eternal salvation of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would ignite us, that you would fill us, Holy Spirit, that faith and victory would become a church that grows every day because people are giving their lives to Jesus. Not for our glory, not for this church's glory, but for your glory and for your kingdom because you deserve it, Jesus. 
Lord, use us for your glory. Break these chains in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Man, wasn't that good? Praise the Lord. Um, before we get out of here, and I know that uh, many of you are already at first service, I just want to encourage you as as we do here, we got a traveling preacher, and if you want to give him the old Holy Ghost handshake, please feel good to do that. If you don't know how that works, just take a couple sweaty bills that you have in your pocket, whether they're two bucks or 200, whatever, it doesn't matter. It just blesses him. Make sure that, you know, he gives up his life and his wife for the last week to come out and minister to you as the man and everything else. We want to send him back so his wife lets him come again. So he goes back and is able to buy dinner. If you, if you don't have any cash, you do it to, through the app. Just send it through the app and then uh, tell Pastor Todd and then Pastor Todd will cut him a check for the church. All right? Uh, and that same same goes for you online. If you're a regular Faith and Victory person, you want to pay, uh, send Christian a love gift through the app. Just uh, message Pastor Todd and we'll make sure we get it to him. Um, I love you guys. It's great to see you. And I hope that you have a great Sunday. Remember, sign up for Wednesday on the app. Love you guys. Have a great Sunday. Bye, guys. Hey, we want to thank you so much.